0: In fact, the text we have today is just four words, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. And uh, I, I need, uh, how many of you grew up Old King James? Eh, a few, probably about half of you. Old King James, just four words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. If you remember them, say them with me. Quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. In fact, here's something that we can do. When I say, Here comes the Spirit, you say, Quench not the Spirit. I got four words, you got four words. So let's try it out. Here comes the Spirit. Quench not the Spirit. All right, you remember that. I'm going to expect you to be able to, to, um, to throw that back at me. Um, but I, I want to start off, and, and I, I want to tell you that I'm not here to preach to everybody. Uh, quick scan, there might be 45 or 50 folks in the, in the room, not here to preach to everybody. Uh, those sermons are nice, right, when they can affect everybody, but not here to preach to everybody. I'm not even sure that this sermon applies to me. That sounds a little odd, but I'd really like to think it applies to me. I want it to apply to me, but I'm not just so sure. Um, I'm only here to preach to about 16% of you relax 84% of y'all just got off the hook so you're like this is this is good I can amen it and it doesn't even matter right 16% and and here's why I say that in 1962 there's a a guy named Everett Rogers who wrote a book called diffusion of innovation and in the book he throws out this theory that any innovation that comes along doesn't, doesn't hit the market and doesn't hit culture in this straight way, but that there's overlapping waves that, that come. And it takes, uh, in fact, he identifies five different types of people in order for something to really grab hold of culture, for something to catch on, if you will. And so if you can give me the first slide, I, I really wanted to draw it for you, but uh, I, I didn't bring a, a flipboard with me. But I kind of wanted to show you that what, it, what is required is, at the very beginning, there's about two and a half percent of people that are considered innovators, and those are the people who live for something new. They live for something. Uh, richer and deeper. And in the world we live in, of course, a lot of innovation has to do with technology. And so the easiest thing when you're thinking about it is these are the people that are standing outside forming the line uh, when something new is is about to be released. Now, most of us, 84% of us or maybe even as much as 97% of us are like, that's nuts. I would never stand outside a store and wait for it to open to get the latest gadget, to get the latest cell phone, to get the, the latest. But there are two and a half percent, and those people sometimes are referred to as guinea pigs, right? They're the, and that's why a lot of us stay away, right? We're we're like, well, we'll wait until later on when they've got all the kinks worked out and they've got all the. But those innovators are important because they give the first feedback, and so it's kind of this. Win-win situation from the the business or the corporation that's putting out a new product and these these people are there And then right behind them was about 13 and percent So they make up about 16% and those are early adopters and these are the folks that aren't standing outside the door But they're very anxious and as soon as they get some good reviews and in fact while innovators really kind of make their own little circle they don't really mix well with others but early adopters kind of had this wider social circle, and so they're more respected and more, uh, they have a, a better uh, rapport, if you will, with their friends and with their social circles. And so it's, it's this group of people that really early on set the stage and get the, the climb for this bell curve when something new is coming into the market, it's those 16% that that corporations really depend on because they're the ones that give the feedback and they're the ones that that have the new thing and that are sharing. Now, we'll say most of us fall somewhere in the majority. There's 34% in the early majority and 34% in the late majority, and more than likely, about 70% of people in this room probably fall into that category. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but we fall into that category where you're not going to be there on the... On the cutting edge, but you're going to adopt it, and, and at some point in time, it's going to impact your life and then, of course, you've got sixteen percent that we that that uh, Rogers called laggards. That's the one who still has a flip phone, or better yet, doesn't even have a phone. You know those people. and that's okay because otherwise the bell curve wouldn't be as pretty, right? We, we need laggards inside. But most people fall into, you see, that, that 84% of people, you're either uh, uh, you're early, uh, early majority, a late majority, or you're a laggard. And it's, it's nothing new, but it's just the way that it seems to fall. Now, the theory isn't completely foolproof, but it has stayed around for the last 50 years, and it seems to be that that this is really the way. And so... Here's, here's what I want to, to bring to your attention today. It's those 16% of people that, that are really needed if something's going to go viral. If something's going to catch on. Now don't jump too far ahead because I didn't come to tell you that Life Church is a product that you've got to sell to Knoxville and we want it to catch on. Because if we start talking like that... I think we've completely missed the boat when it comes to what God wants to do. However, I do believe that in the same way there are people who God depends on to get things going. And sometimes it's the people that aren't really part of the majority. And so I want us to look in Acts chapter 8 today. I hope you've got your Bible open there. I want us to look in Acts chapter 8 and I want us to to pay attention to a guy named Philip, and to see the way that God works through Philip to do some amazing things. This story, if you've been around for very long, this story is not new to you at all, but I don't want to begin at the beginning of the story, oddly enough. I want to jump in at verse 26, and then we're going to Go back. But verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. Or a lot of translations just say, so he, so he went. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip up uh, to come and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture from Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I didn't realize until I really got to studying and and paying attention to the text, I always thought, well, this Ethiopian eunuch is, is... just In in fact, for a long time I thought that this was probably a Gentile because he was Ethiopian. But we're not told that, and really it doesn't seem like that's the case. It, it doesn't seem like until we get to Acts chapter 10 that we're getting the picture that Luke wants to paint of how the message gets to the Gentiles. So more than likely this was uh, at least a partial Jew, a Jewish convert. But here's what I w- want you to pay attention to. The, the scripture specifically says this guy was an important Official. And I, I would imagine that we all dream at some point of time of having an impact on an important official. Right? It, it, because you, you figure they've got a wider fan base. They've got a lot more going on in their lives. They've got a lot more people they can reach out to and touch. And so it would be so nice if we could share our faith and, and make an impact in the life of an important official. And the Bible says that an angel appears to Philip and says, here's where I, I need you to go. And Philip doesn't even respond. He just moves. And then the Spirit says, go up and, and get near the chariot so you can hear what's going on. And uh, as, as if it wasn't already communicated through the Scriptures, we, we see that he is taking back with him the scroll, at least of Isaiah, and perhaps The whole scroll of of what we would consider pieces and parts of the Old Testament. And not, there weren't very many people who can read, but there certainly weren't very many people who owned their own copy of the Scripture. And so this is someone who is important and he's highly educated and he's got a good job. And Isn't that what we all want to do? We want to make an impact on that kind of person because it just seems to us like that kind of person could really help further the cause of the kingdom. And there's certainly a place to see that in Scripture where Philip is led by the Spirit to, to be near right at the moment, right at the time where this guy is desiring to know more and he's hungry to know about God and what God is doing in the world and the story that he's telling and Philip's the man, and that's, that's something that, that we all desire and we all want, and that's not a bad thing, but I want you to realize how Philip gets to that place, and it's because Philip, when we first meet Philip in Acts chapter 6, you remember he was one of the seven that they called out, and all the scripture says is they needed somebody to help distribute the food to the widows because the apostles were trying to spend their time in prayer and in study and really in the presence of God to see what God wanted to do. And so it's almost ironic that they choose Stephen and Philip and five other guys. And they say, you know, we want to choose guys that are full of the Holy Spirit, was the first qualification, and full of wisdom. Because the two aren't always together. Right? You ever met somebody who was full of the Holy Spirit? And not really full of wisdom. And there are people who are wise, but not full of the Holy Spirit. They said, we need both of these to come together. And so they find Stephen, they find Philip. And, and so the rest of chapter 6 and chapter 7 talks about Stephen and how he was, was filled with this boldness. It's amazing how the apostles kind of say, hey, look, we've got the, the bigger duties, so we're going to choose these guys to handle some of the smaller duties. But all of a sudden, Stephen... Gets this audience uh, with the grand council, if you will. He gets this audience, uh, and uh, he proclaims the message of Jesus Christ, and it leads to him becoming the first martyr. And then in Acts chapter eight, as as we get our first notion in Acts chapter eight, verse one, that that Saul, who's going to become Paul the apostle, Saul is sitting there, and and he's okaying the death of Stephen, and he's okaying, and in fact, he's coming now, and he's destroying, that's the word one translation uses, he was destroying the church. And so it it causes people to scatter. The apostles uh, tend to stay in Jerusalem, but everybody else is moving now. And so, hang with me for a minute. This is how I see Philip. I think Philip was just an incredible accident waiting to happen. I think Philip was just somebody who was just waiting for the moment Where he could take off. I think Philip was an innovator. A true innovator who was willing to do something that others weren't willing to do. And so now everybody's scattering because nobody knows what tomorrow holds. Nobody knows. They've been praying. They realize in Acts chapter 3 we've got to begin praying for boldness. Because it's getting fiercer and fiercer. But nobody had died at that point in time. Right? It was just some, some threats. It was some some whippings it was some jail time but nobody had died but now that Stephen has died and now that there's this young emerging leader who's willing to go after the Christians it changes everything as you can imagine and so Philip I think is just waiting for his moment waiting for a chance and so when Stephen dies and people begin to scatter and are scared, and so some people just leave Jerusalem. Philip says, here we go. And chapter 8, verse 5 says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria. That doesn't sound like a lot to you, but if you know the way the Scriptures portray Samaria, it's, it's never, up to this point in time, Samaria is never portrayed in a good light. In fact, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says... I want you disciples to go out and to proclaim the message, but don't go to Samaria. Don't don't go there. Right. The disciples came when Jesus went through Samaria and was talking to a woman, the disciples came and they're confused. They, they don't get it. Why? Why would you be talking to someone from Samaria? Samaritans were seen as as racially impure, as religiously inferior. It just wasn't a lot of anything In fact, the Religious leaders looked at Jesus one time and said, "You're a Samaritan and a drunkard." It was almost it, it really was kind of like a, a slang word and philip as the as the spirit begins to break out of Jerusalem because of Stephen's martyrdom, Philip goes down to Samaria and Begins to proclaim the good news of Jesus in Samaria. The place that nobody else wants to go to. Here's how amazing it works. We'll fly real quick. Pardon how quick we have to go. But we'll fly real quick through. But here's, here's what's amazing Philip goes down and there's signs and there's wonders and there's miracles happening at the hands of Philip. And we're not told that anybody is with him. We're not told that he has a single person that's doing ministry with him. Philip is drawing crowds. And even a guy named Simon, who was a magician, if you will, who, was, uh, uh, who had tapped into some spiritual powers, but they, they weren't of God, even he realizes Philip is doing some amazing things. And so these crowds gather and people are repenting and people are being baptized and amazing things are happening in Samaria as a result of uh, Philip's commitment to do whatever God wants him to do. What if in our lives, what if our primary purpose is just not to quench what God wants us to do. It's not to to come up with good ideas and not to figure out things on our own, but what if our primary purpose was just to be a reservoir or a catalyst is probably a better word, through which the Spirit could flow and we would just be obedient to His Spirit. Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He's changed. Matthew 10, I can't explain that to you. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus has changed because He gives uh, the orders. Right before He ascends, He gives the orders and He said, "And You will be My witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Philip was paying attention Philip says Hey this this was part of the plan, right? but nobody else wants to do this right? and there's only two and a half percent of people that are willing to go the places where nobody else wants to go that are willing to do the things that other people are waiting just to see if it catches on i don 't want to look like an idiot i don 't be walking around with that thing in my hand or that thing in my home because it might not come to anything. It might be seven or eight or a thousand dollars out the window. So I'll just, I'll just wait. I'll just hold on. I'm, I'm going to hold back. But there are innovators that are needed and God needs people who will truly be innovative, not because they're coming up with new plans, but because they're just willing to say, I'll do it. It's part of the plan. I'll do it. <laughs> so Philip, Raises his hand and says, I'll go. Samaria was on the... That's right. That's on the map, right? Give me the map. Samaria, Jerusalem, and then Judea, and Samaria. It just makes sense, right? Not to everybody else. But Philip... Philip goes and he's in Samaria and great things are happening. In fact, it's so great... <coughs> Pardon me. It's so great... And the disciples, or the apostles in Jerusalem say, you know what? We probably should check this out. And so when you read on down a little farther, it says the disciples sent Peter and John to Samaria. And the scripture says, I think Luke was being nice because he says the Holy Spirit, not yet been given. And so Peter and John came down and then after they check things out, they lay their hands on people and what Luke I think is basically trying to get across is the the church the organizational structure blessed it if you will they laid hands on them and then they received the spirit and I don't doubt that it happened that way it's just that I really believe that the disciples uh, that the apostles in Jerusalem and some of the other disciples needed to be real sure Philip didn't need to be sure right he's on the cutting edge but Here's something that's interesting when you look back, look, look down at verse. I think it's verse twenty five. When they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. Watch. Catch this. Preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. They're called early adopters, right? Because remember, early adopters have a better social circle. They have a better reputation. Philip, we know he's full of the spirit, full of wisdom, but we don't. He's kind of hanging by himself. He's an innovator. Peter and John are early adopters because they're like, oh, wow, now, okay, we we get that. We we understand now. Samaria's in. Right? Why didn't they get it when Jesus said it? Because sometimes it just takes somebody breaking out in their own way doing something and then early adopters coming on. 16% of people fall into that category. That means the odds are you don't. But what if somebody 16% would be what eight out of 50 folks if there's 50 people in here right now there might be seven or eight people and I didn't come today to give you permission because you don't need my permission you don't need Phil's permission because you've already been given all the permission you need by the scriptures and by the Holy Spirit at work in the kingdom of God in this world And I came to challenge you today, what if you're one of those seven or eight, there's something inside of you saying, you know what, I've just kind of been waiting. Let me tell you what, what Phil as a pastor really needs. I don't know that he'll say this because it gets kind of scary, but I can say it because I get to leave in just a few minutes. (laughs) But what really, what's really needed is out of a hundred people, 12 or 14 or 16 that are willing to say, you know what, I don't have to wait for him to give an assignment or a cast a vision or give a mission because I already know that I need to impact somebody's life. I already know I need to share and be a witness to somebody. I already know what I need to do, and I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to be obedient to the Spirit. Martyrdom of Stephen, and people are scattered, but here comes the Spirit. Spirit. Okay, let's try it one more time. (laughs) Martyrdom of Stephen. The people are being scattered. But here comes the Spirit. Spirit. You go down to Samaria, he starts preaching, and people start responding to the good news. Peter and John show up. They say, we can't deny it, right? That was Peter's usual response. Right, I, I saw what happened, just like, what am I going to do? Keep them out? I don't want them here, but they're here. Right? That's how Peter kind of approached this thing. Right? Two chapters after chapter 8, Peter is still arguing with God about the inclusion of Gentiles. Seven chapters after chapter 8, the council of Jerusalem is still arguing about how Jewish do Gentiles have to become in order to be included in the kingdom of God. But Philip, the true innovator, right? The true innovator. And Peter and John, his early adopters, still are lagging behind. But there's work that the Spirit is doing. And so they come down and they see it. And they say, we can't, we can't deny these folks. And so they lay hands on them. And here comes the Spirit. You. Now you're waiting for it. And they travel back, Peter and John, and they preach in many Samaritan vill- villages, towns, that they're all because of Philip. But where's Philip? You say, well, that's Philip's... No, where is Philip? The angel shows up and says, Philip, now I need you on a desert road in the middle of the day. What? Now he doesn't say what. He just says, yes, sir, because innovators... In fact, I was studying uh, more and more. I'm, I'm interested in just the way theater works, but... I don't know how much you know about theater, theater but there's a part of theater called improv and actually if you know anything about improv it's it you're not likely there's not a whole lot of improv places to go around but you may have seen wow well, it's been more than a decade ago a show on tv called whose line is it anyway where you just the audience might throw out a suggestion and they just go with it And so you you see these people on stage and you think, wow, these people are very talented and they must be just incredibly quick on their feet and their brains must just work in this overwhelming way because they just come up with this stuff off, uh, just all of a sudden, just off the cuff, here they go. And a lot of times it's just very funny. It doesn't always work, but a lot of times it does. But when you begin studying it, you realize that there are a whole lot of rules to improv theater and there's a whole lot of practice time. It's not... A whole like, unlike, It's not a whole lot unlike a basketball team where you, you watch them out there playing and things look so flawless and so seamless, but then you realize, wait a minute, but there's this trust that they've developed as they've practiced and as they've played together. And so in improv theater, one of the first rules, one of the most basic rules is considered the rule of agreement. And here's, here's the way improv, right? I didn't come to give you a theater lesson, but I just find it amazing that the best improv is built when you develop action rather than suppress action. So imagine, and Malcolm Gladwell gives a great example in a book called Blink, but imagine that uh, a guy comes on stage and you realize he's the doctor and this is the patient, and the patient says, "Dot, my leg is hurting, and the doctor says, well, I'm going to have to cut it off. And the patient says, no, I've grown rather attached to it. Now that sounds like a funny joke, but it's not good improv. Because what he did was he just suppressed the action that the doctor recommended. And great improv is built on developing action or agreeing with what has happened. So the doctor walks in, the patient says, my leg's hurting. He says, well, is it your wooden one? He said, yes. He said, well, we're going to have to cut it off. And so everything goes, and you have to read more of it to get where it's going, but everything goes with this developing action and Keith Johnstone, who was actually one of the pioneers in improv theater said, we're really good in our lives at suppressing action. And he even says it this way. He says the thing, he says a granny in a wheelchair going 25 miles per hour toward a cliff. You don't want to see that in real life, but you'll pay money to see that in a movie or a play, but you don't want that to be your granny. Right? But, He says all of those things, in fact, most of the things that you don't want to happen in your life are what actually makes good story, what actually makes good entertainment. And developing action instead of suppressing. And I've come this morning just to challenge somebody that the Spirit wants to do something. And there's some innovators and some early adopters in the room, I believe, has to be. And the Spirit wants you to do, and you're, you're wanting to suppress it because you're not sure how to be received, and you're not sure what will happen. But when it comes to the Spirit, and when it comes to what the Spirit wants to do in touching and changing people's lives, uh, you need to begin to develop that action. You need to do what Philip does. And when the angel says, says, I need you on the desert road in the middle of the day, you just say, I'm going. I've got to go. I can't imagine my life not being where God wants me to be. Why? Because there's going to be an Ethiopian and just just think about it in that the Greco-Roman world, Ethiopians were kind of exotic people. They were dark skinned and really they were from this exotic location that most people had never traveled to and didn't know much about. And so this is an important official who really this is this is the person that everybody would love to have a chance to talk to. Somebody very special who gets the chance the guy who spent the last few weeks in Samaria with the people that nobody wanted to talk to. And he gets done, the Ethiopian says, well, then I need to be baptized, there's water. I don't know where the water came from, in the middle of the desert, but there's water. Baptize." and as they come up out of the water, you remember, Phil talked about the suddenly of God, last week, the suddenly of God catches Philip away. And he ends up in Azotus. Did I ever get my map? I missed my map, but uh, the map shows that Azotus is a couple miles or or several miles, uh, eight to nine miles. It might pop up there. Eight to nine miles from from where he was. Philip just moving, just doing. Philip wakes up in the morning. Here comes the spirit. (laughs) Philip wakes up in the morning. Here comes the spirit. That's more like it. And that's what if. What if we decided? You know what? And it is possible. You know what? There are people that are standing in line at the Apple Store waiting for the iPhone 17 or whatever number they're on now, waiting for it, just desiring it. And it. And some of those people used to be in the in the late adopters. Well, the change now. That's all right. Um. The. the, the the early adopters and then the early majority and the late majority they used to be there but now they're moving into that category and it is possible here's what it takes to become an innovator or an early adopter you just wake up in the morning here comes the the spirit that's what it takes and what if we, what if Life Church? But you know, one of the worst misnomers in the Bible is when they titled the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. You know that, right? It's not the Acts of the Apostles. The Apostles aren't the protagonists in this story. This is the Acts of the Spirit of God as He does His work, as He spreads His kingdom throughout this world. And what if Life Church became known, not for Life Church, but for the Spirit that is at work among the lives of believers and those that are interested in knowing what God's doing in this world, what if that became what Life Church was known for? I can tell you I've spent enough time with your pastor to know that that's what he desires. That's what he desires. And if, if, this, if this thing, if this work that you all are a part of is going to go viral, it's going to take some people saying, you know what, I'm not going to quench the Spirit. I'm not going to do it. It sounds weird, it sounds crazy, but I'm going to do it. And here's what you know about a really good move of the Spirit. There's always fruit that comes from it. You say, Philip, you just sound like a wacko to me going down to Samaria. That's all right, but I can take you. And there are hundreds and hundreds of people that as a result of Philip's obedience are now baptized believers filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, what, what, Philip, you're a wacko going to a desert road talking to an Ethiopian. Well, but I can take you, and legend has it, like right, The story, we don't know for sure, but the story is that this Ethiopian became the evangelist to Ethiopia. And Ethiopia is still, 2,000 years later, being evangelized. What opened the door? A guy named Philip being you know, obedient to the Spirit. You say, Oh, I want, I want angels and I want the Spirit to talk to me. That's fine. But I hope it leads to something because we don't want to hear about your angel and spirit stories if it's just telling you to do more of what you've always been doing. Philip goes and sees things happen. So I want you to stand right now and I want us to pray together and if there's anybody who would like special prayer we could certainly uh, do that as well but somebody somebody if if God's work that he wants to do among this people a particular work that I believe he's given you a particular person to oversee if this happens if this goes viral what it's going to take is it's going to take a few of you all maybe 15 or 16 percent saying this might be what my life ends up looking like, right? You only read about Philip one more time in Acts. He's 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 settled down in Caesarea. He's got a wife and he's got daughters like three daughters. And you know what? This is what happens. He has three daughters and Acts refers to them as prophetesses. You say that sounds that sounds kind of scary not to Philip. That's just, that's just who Philip was. You expect, his, you expect his daughters to be agents of the Spirit because that's how he lived his life. You expect him to be somewhere with something great happening in his house all the time because that's just who he was. There's nothing wrong. Please understand me. There is nothing wrong with being a part of the early majority. There's nothing wrong with being a part of the late majority. But I've come to challenge... Maybe just a few of you. Just don't quench the spirit. Some of you all have suppressed action. And God can't do good work like that. He's resigned himself to be as effective as people will allow him to be. And... uh, somebody in this church needs to say, I'm in as an innovator. I don't have to see other people doing it before I do it. I don't have to see how it works. and how it all. I'm telling you, I don't know that Phil has the liberty to say that, but I can tell you that's what he really wants. That's what every pastor really wants is somebody that comes in and says, I'm sorry, Miss Church, last week, but here's, I was out baptizing people in the swimming pool. You know, We'll figure it out. Peter and John, they'll figure it out later on. But if it's the Spirit at work in your life, it's legit. It's valid. It works. and That's what every church needs. That's, that's what's going to break out from just being a church that adds people to a church that really multiplies, that goes viral, where all of a sudden hundreds and thousands of people are impacted. It doesn't mean they walk inside your doors. The Ethiopian didn't even get a chance to talk about what he was supposed to do next with Philip. God just said, hey, that's good enough. Now I need you over here. Now I need you over here. And there's somebody, somebody's, maybe just four or five today. What if you really just said, I'm completely, I'm not going to suppress anymore. I'm not going to quench the spirit. Father, I want to pray over every person in this place right now and ask. Or for those few people that there's something inside of them that's willing just to be on the cutting edge if you will. Father, somebody that just really wants to be out front, leading the way, leading the charge. I ask God that you would Lord truly open up the heavens and let your spirit completely overwhelm them this morning. And Lord, as they go through the next days and weeks, I pray that they would realize that they don't I can't give them permission And Pastor Phil can't give them permission, but Lord, the permission that they need has already been granted when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And God, I pray that somebody won't wait until September on the official relaunch day, but somebody would start even this week saying, you know what, I've got to spread my testimony. I've got to impact somebody. I've got to share the good news Lord, for somebody that can impact hundreds at a time, but for somebody else it might just be sitting down next to somebody who's already reading Scripture and just opening the Word up a little clearer to their lives. But however it happens, God, I pray for those, Lord, those 15 or 16% of people that would say, I'm in on the front end. I'm in when everybody else is waiting to see how this thing works out. I'm in right now. God, I pray for all of us that we wouldn't quench your spirit, that we wouldn't suppress action. When your spirit comes upon us, Lord, let us be completely open and available the way Philip was. To do whatever you call us to do, you give the order, we're marching. You give the instruction, we're obedient. God, could that be what you're calling us first and foremost, just to obedience to your spirit? God, I thank you for this chance. I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this time. And I pray, Lord, over the next several months that, Lord, those people, Lord, there's people in this room right now and there's people that you've not yet brought here but they're just looking for that place where they can go, where they can be the innovators that your spirit is calling them to be. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that it would happen. God, we give all glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name.